You've joined the Digital Transformation Success Podcast. I'm your host, Priscilla McKinney. I consult with leaders around the globe and bring their teams through a digital transformation journey. Realizing digital transformation across an entire organization is key to business success. While the phrase digital transformation is often used, it's not always understood. So we start each episode with my brief working definition. Digital transformation refers to the purposeful integration of digital technology into all areas of a business. It goes beyond technological innovations in that it requires a fundamental mindset shift of how to operate internally and deliver maximum value to customers at scale. When done well, it results in a culture change to an environment where opportunities for digital technology are not missed but are thoughtfully used to change established practices and processes for greater efficiency, flexibility, and profitability. You'll hear from consultants, trainers, executives, innovators, and thought leaders. We will avoid buzzwords, jargon, and leave behind our egos to help you take that next step toward digital transformation success. Let's dive in. With me today is Daniel Ferris. He is a former software engineer and network administrator turned technology and privacy lawyer. So this is going to be an interesting podcast episode. We have not had someone on talking about the legal field, and I think you're going to find this very interesting about how he has brought technology to this industry. So in practice, Daniel chairs the technology privacy and sourcing practice at international law firm K&L Gates where he leads a global team of lawyers advising clients on a lot of technology and compliance issues, including data center operations, fiber optic networking, cloud computing, information governance, emerging technologies, and privacy and data security. I had to make a list of that, (laughs) Daniel, just to be fair. It's a mouthful. (laughs) It's a lot, but basically, Daniel's very smart, but what I think you're going to hear in this episode is that he's also very practical. So he really has understood how technology can really strengthen and expand the core mission of businesses. So this is where really this kind of idea out there of digital transformation meets the practicality. So the reason why I asked Daniel to come on is because he is the co-founder of Nimble Technologies, and they are a legal technology software company that has had a lot of success around legal workflow management. In fact, they created a proprietary tool called Proxy. It's a SaaS tool that supports and enhances the adoption of legal operation principles. So uh, if you can imagine, if you think you got a lot of paperwork on your desk, (laughs) put yourself into a corporate legal situation. So this is really geared for corporate in-house legal teams, but we're going to talk about how they've developed this technology to help the stakeholders better manage you know, track, prioritize, delegate, really report on all of these crazy legal matters. So Daniel, welcome to Digital Transformation Success. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be so fun because like I said, we haven't had someone on talking specifically about legal. Now people would remember I had Sergio from Tackle AI and he has an interesting uh, AI approach to some legal documents, but I really want to get into what is it you were seeing in the legal industry that led you to really create a niche product. So I think we all know that the legal industry is not really known for being like big technology adopters 
doctors. <laughs> you can tell by the uh, type of decor when you enter a law firm. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> okay, so give us a little bit of that info. That's kind of my outside view, but what really is the state of innovation on the inside, you know, in the legal industry? So, no, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of focus right now on uh, business and digital transformation in legal. You see it both in terms of uh, legislation and regulators looking at, at sandboxes and trying to use legal technology and allow non-traditional means of legal practice so that we can have more reach of legal services to underserved markets. But in the sort of traditional kind of corporate right uh, world where, you know, law firms have been king forever, we see certainly a lot of desire to be innovative, to change, quote unquote, the model uh, and to, you know, really leverage technology in the delivery of legal services. So there's certainly a lot of focus there's also a good amount of money and investment, frankly, flowing into some of these alternative legal service providers, legal technology companies, um, you know, some legal ops and frankly, staffing, you know, again, kind of looking at new and different ways to provide or consume legal services that is different than just the traditional law firm lawyer, right? right, right. Um, and, and then I think, you know, I would also say there's significant unmet need in the industry. Um, as you correctly identify, Priscilla, there's not, I mean, you know, law firms in particular and lawyers, right, and courts you think of as very old, very stodgy. You think of lots of mahogany wood and marble and many leather bound books, right? <laughs> um, and I think, you know, there's been something of a change in the last you know, 10 to 12 years, and we're really seeing, you know, while legal technology and digital transformation in legal is still in its relative infancy, certainly compared to other industries, um, you know, there, there are a lot of new offerings, a lot of the newer technology products, a lot of what we're seeing is meeting kind of the, you know, the needs that's sort of the lowest hanging fruit right? It's the most obvious, it's the easiest, but it is that beginning stage of building momentum into real change in the space. Uh, and so it's an exciting time. Um, it's also somewhat of a challenging time for those like me who are sort of pushing for early adoption in an industry that is founded upon tradition. Right. right. So it's this interesting. They should, have a, they should have a banner across that industry. It just says latency. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, well, you know, what's interesting is I know a lot of people feel that COVID really gave the impetus for this, but you know that this was happening long before it. And COVID simply accelerated the drive for digital transformation within this industry. I mean, we never thought we would have courts being willing to meet via Zoom. I mean, they were making, you know, uh, actual, you know, court decisions and, you know, completing cases via Zoom. And, and, and I don't think we would have seen that without COVID. So you're right. There is a lot of um, push right now, but you, I want to unpack something. You mentioned that one of the things motivating change in the legal industry is the desire to reach uh, underserved markets. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And then we'll dive into a little bit about the technology that you've created. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're right about COVID. In fact, I think the two biggest drivers for change in legal uh, over the last 20 years are the recession, right, in, in 08 and kind of extending into the 2010, you know, uh, time frame. That actually started this sort of sea change, I think, in the way that law is practiced. Traditionally, you know, law firms or, or corporate legal departments, I should say, were very small. They sort of fielded, right, uh, the, the requests of the business, issue spotted, and then hired the right law firm or outside lawyers to handle the matter. And beginning in 08, as corporations really started to try to manage costs, right, be more efficient, um, you know, really get more bang for buck, uh, that started to pull more and more lawyers in-house away from law firms because, frankly, you know, law, corporate uh, legal departments could afford more as with FTEs than they could paying hourly rates. I think COVID is a second, right, uh, catalyst that has created, you know, before 08, we didn't have the foundation. 08 is what created the foundation. COVID, now that we had the foundation, allowed for really rapid, right, change in ways that we wouldn't see. And to your point, right, we're having trials over Zoom. Um, you know, one of the things that 08 showed us, and now to, to get to your sort of underserved market question, what, you know, regulators, what courts, uh, what the legal, you know, community is starting to see is that the access to a lawyer, is something in our society that is largely reserved for wealthy, right? Wealthy individuals or corporations with lots of money, because frankly, law firm lawyers like me charge sort of exorbitant hourly yeah. rates. Um, <laughs> you can have another banner over the industry that says probably a high hourly rate. <laughs> right, exactly. And so what that means, right, is there is a tremendous amount of, as I mentioned earlier, unmet need, Right. So how do you do that for the sort of customary things that come up in people's lives, right? This could be, you know, uh, family matters or divorce. This could be a lease. This could be, you know, uh, responding to some kind of, uh, you know, small collections action, things like that. It's really difficult for the average person who might need legal assistance to get a lawyer at, you know, the cost that is associated with that. And so, you know, California has looked at this, Utah, Arizona, there's a handful of states largely in the West at this point, but I think it's expanding, that have done two things. One, they've allowed or created legal sandboxes that rely on technology, that really look at digital transformation. Second, they are allowing for what would traditionally have been the unlicensed practice of law, they're opening that up to allow non-lawyers to provide some legal services, uh, right, in, you know, limited, you know, under certain rules and in limited circumstances, but to address exactly those kind of issues where, you know, you don't really need to pay a lawyer hundreds or thousands of dollars an hour to help with the issue, um, you know, that the individual might be addressing. And so having folks that are what we would traditionally call paralegals, but, you know, non-lawyers who have some training or experience and know the relevant, you know, regulations, know the state of the law to provide some services in that area. And 
frankly, from a societal standpoint, it's getting us back to this sort of founding principle uh, in our you know country, right? The rule of law, and you know, you think about it, the way you know in 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 which we we're sort of structured is there's a presumption that everyone has access, right, to the courthouse. Everyone has access uh, and the ability to avail themselves of legal process. And that's often not the case, not because, you know, there's some actual legal bar, but because there's a financial one. Right. So this this little pesky phrase, justice for all. Right. Right. (laughs) Sometimes really, really haunts us. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves and how there's more opportunities and to see where that goes. But I I invited you on because I really wanted to hear about why you focused your efforts like you saw a problem and this and, and then went to say, um, you know, instead of this idea, which in, in my opinion is, is reverse, I have this amazing technology. Let's apply technology to step. No, you saw that there was an issue and a problem in this industry. And could I use technology to solve this? Could this be made easier? So talk to me a little bit about why you chose this one little segment of legal workflow management to focus for your company and for this new SaaS product proxy. So how does that fit into that legal ecosystem? Yeah, love the question. So because it it allows me to give you a little bit of the background and then tell you exactly what we're doing. So traditionally, right, it's not that legal technology or technology has been, you know, had a lot of adoption in the legal industry, but where companies have existed over the years, it was primarily focused on law firm lawyers because, you know, naturally from a business standpoint, the highest concentration of lawyers were at firms and they had money. So, you know, you focused your product if you wanted to sell and be profitable on those groups. So what were those products, right? They were products that helped in the commercialization of legal services, right? So they related to time entry and billing, right? They related to legal research or docketing, things that allowed either greater capture of time, which is really our widget, right? In terms of commercial value as lawyers, or things that helped maybe make us, right? As as the legal service provider, more efficient, but not necessarily make that, you know, pass through, right, to our clients. Um, I, I think, as I mentioned, in 08, you saw this sort of explosion of lawyers in corporate legal departments and corporate legal departments changing the model where their in-house lawyers basically were just kind of shuffling things back and forth from lawyers at firms and the internal stakeholders to actually practicing. But then that brought about legal operations, right? So all of a sudden, now you have these people who are not trained in business, who are subject to new operational controls, right? And lawyers aren't trained to know what, how to, you know, calculate ROI or what a KPI is, right? Uh, Or, you know, how OPEX affects, you know, how, you know, how it's relevant to the overall budget, right? And all this is, this is also in this industry, how lawyers, and I will add doctors are not really great business people. (laughs) Correct. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, what we saw was, you know, there was this, this growth of lawyers in-house who knew how to practice law but didn't know all of these other things around it, right? And so 
they were being asked to do things they weren't trained to do. They didn't have prior experience in. they didn't really understand. And also now, whereas traditionally their role was really kind of oversight, now it was both oversight, operational management and control, and then also substantive work, right? And so we heard over and over and over again from clients, from colleagues, you know, look, I feel overwhelmed. You know, I am inundated with requests. I have all these new things I'm supposed to do that I don't understand. You know, I'm out of control. I can't find things. I can't track things. And we looked at the state of the market and you had, you know, one subset of kind of technology that related to law firm lawyers that really wasn't relevant to them. You had a second emerging set of tools that was relevant to in-house lawyers and their practice, right? And really served the lawyers as a consumer of legal services, but were very specific and substantive. What I mean by that is, you know, tools like one of the, the hottest areas is contract management or contract lifecycle management. And those systems are great at helping you create a contract, right? Figure out where the terms may vary, what your risk is, reminding you when there are renewals. And that's all very useful in making that particular portion of a lawyer's job, right? More efficient, make them more productive. But that's one piece of this broader puzzle, right? And so much like you see in the business world, this increased uh, relevancy and frankly, greater adoption of tools like Monday and Asana, right? And these things for just kind of managing the way that you work, lawyers very much needed the same thing. And some legal departments use Asana, right? Um, or what have you. But it doesn't exactly fit the way that lawyers work. And so what we saw was a real need, a unmet demand, but, but real need to have a tool that helped lawyers in sort of a subject matter agnostic way manage, track, right, uh, you know, delegate, keep control of these legal matters, regardless of the subject matter, end to end. So in some respects, it's kind of like what Salesforce started with, right, in, in the sales space. Um, we have a model that's kind of similar, which is let's do this thing of tracking how a matter goes through and putting some controls around that to help facilitate this legal ops expectation, right, end-to-end -end in the legal market. And so that's really how we got to proxy. Right. And I think so many people are very much interested in making their workflow or their day-to-day -day more efficient, um, but it always feels like a juggle between, hey, this particular thing wasn't designed for my industry and I'm having to retrofit. I I'm a huge Trello user. My, my whole company is a massive Trello user and all of our systems and standard operating procedures are built on that. But, you know, when you think about legal, there's this very interesting life cycle that really doesn't fit a lot of other systems. So I like this idea that instead of, you know, finding this technology in a system and now I've got to go re kind of reconfigure the way I work in order to use it, you basically took it the other way. That was the concept of digital transformation to say, let the lawyers keep working the way they need to work. Let us design a system around it so that they can use it no matter what type of a case. Is that what I'm hearing? 
A hundred percent. And I would, I would also add, right, that it's a industry where, as we've discussed, right, it's behind. There's still a decent amount of, um, you know, amongst some ranks of hesitancy, of skepticism, right, uh, you know, and, and so adoption is and change management is always a struggle. Some of that is changing based just on demographics, right? The lawyers coming in to the market today are millennial or, you know, Gen Z. They think anything that doesn't use technology is bizarre. So, <laughs> right, that's changing. But leadership in the legal community still tends to be, if not, you know, boomers, right, Gen X. And so there's still, you know, while, you know, there's some willingness to consider and an understanding that this is the way of the world today, there's still a good amount of resistance. And right. so we knew, right, one of the challenges, Trello was a tool we looked at, you know, we also looked at um, Jira, right? Uh, and we looked at a lot of these other tools. The real, one of the things we heard when we did market research, and I think this is a key point for anyone in the space who's trying to create a legal tech tool or who is trying to use technology in the practice and wants to get adoption and see success, the, the minimal amount of change necessary to, for adoption is key. And so when we built Proxy, we built it on you know, a sort of microservices platform, open API with the idea that it will integrate with what you're already using. There's a ton of email integration because we all live by it, right? And so it means that, you know, lawyers can utilize the tool without having to live in it, right? Without having to change significantly the way they already work. And to us, that was critical for, you know, providing a product that was actually going to help meet these needs. One of the things we heard, right, when you talk about Trello or Asana is, I can't enter 70 fields of data to get this legal, you know, matter in. It's already overwhelming. So, right, we focused a ton and continue to focus a ton on user experience and how we make that as seamless as possible. Right. Well, I think that UX research is really key point in digital transformation. And I think a lot of people, you know, I think the big first mistake is they try and just like, push technology on top of something. Whereas you took this bottom up approach. It's like, what is the problem? Let's try and like, don't, don't put technology on it until we really understand exactly what kinds of things could work. And then that other piece of doing your research, the UX has got to be as frictionless as possible. (laughs) And a lot of startups um, who are looking at digital transformation, in my opinion, are not putting enough money over on the research side. You even mentioned that looking at the competitive landscape, you know, what are other people doing there? Somebody may have already solved this. And, um, you know, as a, as a CEO of a marketing firm, believe me, I have a lot of people come to me and like, oh, we built this, you know? And so we want to know if you can market it. I'm like, you know, (laughs) a very cursory look at um, a competitive landscape. I'm like, oh, well, these people made this as well. Oh, well, ours is better. Well, better doesn't really matter when it comes to digital transformation. There's a couple of things. I think the key takeaway I'd love my audience to hear is number one, is that you want to be able to offer to someone the least amount of disruption in the way they work. 
right? And then you yeah. also have to get to market. So sometimes, uh, you know, it, digital transformation is one of those things too, where a lot of us are digitally transformed in a certain way. Is it ideal? No, but sometimes the first thing that we adopt is the thing that we then start building our life around. And I think really great digital tech, uh, transformation comes with that pause and that, you know, being able to put the right system in at the right time at the very bottom of it, but that's not always reality. So, you know, I see those, those, those two sides, you know, of the coin. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think I would, you know, I would just add two, two quick points. One is one of the big challenges we saw in the legal space is the products that exist tend to be driven by either, right, lawyers. So we hear a lot of, you know, built by lawyers for lawyers kind of a thing, uh, or right, it's by the the technologists, right, the software engineers or whatever. And it's interesting because the lawyers want to capture the archaic, inefficient way that they've traditionally done things, which is not typically good, right, for user experience. Whereas the technologists really focus on user experience and right efficiency and process change. But as you might have noticed. Lawyers tend to be uh, type A, we tend to have egos, so we don't want anyone telling us how to do our job. And so that, both of those things have caused, in, in my view, a lot of failure, right, in the space. Um, and so one of the, the reasons we think we're well positioned is, right, I am a lawyer who was literally a software engineer, one of my co-founders is a lawyer who was literally a software engineer, right? So we've, we, we are coming at it, you know, with experience in both sides of the world, um, you know, number one. Number two, I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's this concept of last best experience, right? So if you're using, you know, I don't know, Grubhub, right? Or Netflix or whatever, um, on your phone, and then you turn to work on a business tool, your expectation is even though that business software is not intended to operate any way, right? Like that consumer app, your expectation is still that it will. Right. And so we were, have been and continue to be uber focused on this idea of meeting that need because you can't have digital transformation if you don't have technological uptake in the process and you can't have technological uptake in the process if people think your technology is, you know, kludgy or uh, heavy or, you know, just it doesn't meet, right, their expectation. And so if you're not doing that, right, there's this chain of events that will inevitably fail. Right. And that brings us back around to really great UX research and really digging into user psychology. And, you know, what, what is it that's keeping people from finishing the actual transaction on that platform? You're, you're right. It's like we move from a really great system that was just efficient and really easy. And they go, this dumb system, you know, <laughs> and yep. th this is just the human reality of it. But I do want to back up one second and just say, you know, one of the things that I love what you're saying is that, yeah, you came from, you know, um, I and then moved into uh, a legal field. And there's this interesting blend, like neither one of them is, is 
is going to make it on its own because, you know, we do need to dream a bigger dream about our own workflows, the manual, the human workflows um, that we've become accustomed to as we also transition into technology. So it is um, an interesting place, I think, when you talk about digital transformation success to say we have to blend, there has to be some change in the human behavior, right? And in the human mindset of what is this problem and how do I need to, you know, deal with it? It is that critical thinking piece. Like, yeah, why do we do it this way? Wait a minute, this is incredibly inefficient. And so there is a little bit of that dreaming, a bigger dream that's open there, but then you're right. Then there has to be a very low amount of friction because we don't want to change things too much in order for me to understand how to seamlessly move over as seamlessly as possible. But I also wanted to put out there for all my doctor and and lawyer friends, listen, I might give them a bad rap for maybe not being the most um, operationally business minded people. But frankly, when I want a fantastic lawyer and I want a fantastic doctor, that's all I want them focused on. (laughs) I'm willing to pay, but I need to know that they're not going home thinking about how they're going to operate their workflow. (laughs) I need need them to think about how they're going to solve my actual problem. (laughs) So um, I love that you've, you've basically given us a couple of really great keys to successful digital transformation. Those apply not just to the legal, you know, field, those apply across the board. This idea of really identifying a problem, not throwing technology on top of it, but having this amazing blend. You mentioned research, (laughs) you know, um, and really understanding that user psychology, what needs to happen. But really, you know, as, as, as a thank you for taking your time, Daniel, and, and really telling us a little bit more about Nimble and what you've done there, um, you know, give us, just give us some information about, you know, I, I am sure that you do demos of your software. Who doesn't if they're a SaaS product? And, um, and I happen to know you, you do have a free trial, but, you know, give us just an idea of who your ideal client is if someone does want to reach out to you at Nimble Technologies. Sure. So the the tool proxy itself is primarily geared towards uh, corporate legal departments. Um, You know, we have uh, a range of clients that, you know, uh, from sort of very small four or five person kind of legal departments, uh, you know, smaller organizations all the way up to, you know, fortune tens, right? Um, But typically, um, small to mid-sized corporate legal departments that are dealing with, struggling with, right, kind of legal ops and, you know, workflow management uh, are, you know, best for us. We Most of our clients tend to be highly regulated industry, so financial services, healthcare, insurance. We do have a good number of technology clients, uh, manufacturing, and, you know, there's obviously proxylegalapp.com is, is the website. You can see a lot of information there. We do offer, you know, demos, there are videos, uh, we do a trial. One of the things I will say that uh, really goes to a point you made earlier is we also not only do training, we do onboarding. You know, one of the things that we found is really critical as any organization, any customer of ours tries to, you know, implement, right, and deploy proxy is we found very early on that if you just give them the tool, right? If you say you can't force them into flows, they want to use the tool their own way. But if you just give them the tool and say, okay, put your, you know, how do you operate? Put it in there. They sort of blink and look at you and say, wait, what am I supposed to do here? Um, So, you know, uh, we, we have kind of that professional services piece as well 
to help really map the way an organization is pro is is operating you know what the processes are and and trying to do some of what you're talking about which is a little more business transformation mm-hmm. to help enable the digital you know transformation right. um so absolutely you know we've we've worked with law firms as well uh you know we have law firm partners in the u.s in australia in asia um you know, we have clients in Central and South America and Europe. So, you know, tool uses any language. <laughs> so, you know, you can you can kind of use it anywhere. But, um, you know, uh, a lot of that sort of corporate legal department, you know, that might be mid-sized, big enough to have really sophisticated legal issues, not so big that they have or feel that they have all the resources they need. Right. That's where we fit. I love that. So there's been so many tips here, like I said, that um, apply way beyond legal about how you came about as a company really, you know, using technology and offering really to an industry, uh, you know, an actual path, a, a way forward to empower, you know, these legal departments, how to actually use technology, how, how to actually come out of um, some of the archaic ways of dealing with just what is frankly a mound of paperwork right? <laughs> it's really where, where they've been living. So um, you could go visit them also. It's Nimble Technologies. Go visit them at nmbltech.com. You can check out a little bit more about who they are, but I hope that you've taken away some of these really key practices about what does it mean to really have digital transformation success? These are the things that are in the minds of the innovators, of the thought leaders, of the people who are actually putting it into practice. And those key takeaways can be applied to whatever it is you're trying to do. Uh, Daniel Ferris, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. It's really been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Priscilla. I, I appreciate the opportunity. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.